So in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Wednesday, the seventh day of September. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, from the experts is a virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So what's in it for you? If everything goes well, your curiosity is sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself Someone else solve that problem, make a connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Making authentic connections has never been more important to your business. Thank you to our underwriters for helping transform from the expert vision into action. Endeavor Institute, Unique Ventures, Ecosystem 2030, the Canon Community, and Interpoint. Experts in their own fields, connect with them and learn more about them at FTE.network. You'll be glad that you did. Folks, Help me welcome our guest expert, Ed Hidalgo. Ed is the Chief Innovation and Engagement Officer at the Cajon Valley Union School District in San Diego, California. He's co-designer of the World of Work Initiative, a career development framework designed for integration across K through 12. He is a former senior leader with Qualcomm and Manpower, where he worked in staffing, contingent labor management, and human resources. Ed's mission, to help every person find their place in the world. That's a pretty big mission. <laughs> Privilege having you here, Ed, and I'm really looking forward to see where the group takes this important discussion today. Over to you. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to see all the, the new faces and the familiar faces. Thank you, my friends and colleagues who have joined as well today uh, to hear a little bit about the message. It's exciting to be here on FTE, um, and I look forward to getting feedback as we kind of process and think about uh, the layers of this conversation today. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into it. And um, again, I, I'm really thankful that all of you have stopped by today, and I hope I have something to share that's useful and relevant. So um, as many of you know, I've been on this journey, and I'm I'm just thankful that that uh, that you can be here to share it with me. Many of you have shared this journey with me um, since it began. Many of you know that I left corporate um, staffing about eight years ago. You know, I spent almost 20 years in that space, and and I'm still connected in many ways. I think about this idea of talent on a regular basis. Moving to public education doesn't mean that you forget about talent. Every day is about talent. Every day is about talent and development. Um, and I know that at this time that staffing, human resources, workforce development is about as complex as, as it's ever been. And, you know, I, I also realize that ghosting and quiet quitting is something that we experienced 15 years ago in other parts of the world, but I know that a lot of my uh, domestic partners and friends are experiencing more of that these days. I'm sorry for that. But of course, the pandemic has played a huge role um, on the back of, you know, globalization and the wars for talent that we've been experiencing. It's always on my mind. And with such disruption in business, and many of you are parents and you've seen it in education, the question that always comes back is how are we preparing to harvest, if I can be so bold and use that language, how are we preparing to harvest our future talent? You know, I, I left corporate to work in K-12 and the district that I've stepped into is, um, has 28 schools and 17,000 students. And a core element of the vision is to help every child on a path to gainful employment. And so my work over the past six years is really focused on helping, you know, kind of like what John said, uh, to help every child find their place in the world. But I think what we've done possibly is create a new way to identify talent 
uh, perhaps build talent pipelines. And more importantly, as I was speaking to my wife this morning about it, help education and business find common ground through a common language. So I asked myself, could this be a way to attract future talent? So I hope you'll stick with me and, and stay connected and maybe take some notes as I get into the layers. So in the district, we've been working on what I think some perhaps professors and, and folks in this space from a career counseling lens, vocational psychology would say, is an unorthodox approach to integrating a common language of career that is grounded in vocational interests. It's a shift from a focus on skills. And it's not that we don't care about skills, we care deeply about skills, but skills alone are not sufficient. And when we talk about interests at the foundation of interests, we know that they drive levels of motivation, vigor, direction, and persistence. And those elements of the human are key to building skills and to driving that skill building. So to do this, we leverage an interest framework called the RIASEC. And some of you might be familiar with it, some of you may not, so I'm gonna just pull it up right now. Um, but the, but the, the RIASEC is the most researched vocational framework ever created. And this is what we use at the core. It's a well-proven model developed by Dr. John Holland. It has more than 70 years of research. In many ways, this process is as much about understanding self, the child, the human, the individual, and making that connection to the world of work. And that's what we do with uh, youngsters. That's what we do with adults in our network. It's about kids on the early end of this process beginning to learn about their interests, making connections to careers as they continue to explore every grade and every year. And as a result, the RIASEC, this framework, this model, these six themes have become a common language across our entire community. And as it becomes integrated into our community, it also becomes integrated with our workforce partners. And that's where we see the full stack. And sometimes we'll refer to it as K to gray. It's the entire stack of understanding self and connection to career. So I'm wondering how many of you are familiar with the RIASEC? Um, it might be new to you. Some people might call it the RIASEC, but in counseling circles, it's very familiar. So what's interesting um, about this language and this model is that it's also used in career assessments. In fact, it's used in the gold standards of career assessments, the strong interest inventory and self-directed search you might be surprised that it's also used by major universities like Arizona State and Ohio State to classify their majors. Well, it's also used by the nation's largest database of jobs, the ONET, with more than 900 careers being organized, classified by the same vocational typology. So when I take a step back and think about the RIASEC, the framework, the language, it's in the world already, but almost hidden in plain sight. So although we're still in the early stages, and I'll drop the slide at this point, I want you to know that we have six years of action research and we can show that young people, kids, some would say children, are able to differentiate their interests from a very early age. It's very powerful to see. And the more experiences they have over time, the more clear they are about their interests and can articulate who they may want to become in the world of work, but more importantly, 
why. And so our research with the University of San Diego has showed that 94% of students through our interventions were capable of articulating, and I want you to hear these words, a vivid hoped for possible self. And that's very powerful because when a child says they wanna be a baker, that's a vividness score of one. But when they say they wanna be a baker in a Parisian cafe where they own the business and their focus and specialty is on croissants and they wanna be right next to the Rhine, there's a vividness, there's a color, there's a, a potential and impact with that child's comments. So my question is, how many students in your world could align their interests to your workforce plans? How many students know what your hiring plans are, who you hire, what their interests are, how they might align to a future possible self that could land in their own company? More importantly, are you harvesting the best possible future talent? Are you starting from a place of interest? Or are you starting from a place of skills? I love how, how Sir Ken Robinson says, there are a lot of people who have activated their aptitudes in the world of work, but just because you're good at something doesn't mean you like using it at work. It's a powerful statement. Now, research informs us that the best time to influence, and, and you might not like influence, so maybe let's say develop, develop interest in a child is between middle school and the high school years. And while interests of course can change, we also know from research that they begin to stabilize in late adolescence. So I often wonder, are we connecting with our talent pools too late? How many young people will never understand how their interests may align to a company's hiring goals? So as you think about your existing employees, are you familiar with the research that links interests as having one of the highest correlations to career success, performance, and income of any of the personality measures? Do your workforce development plans include interests? Also, and maybe most importantly, you know, this work is happening in one of the highest poverty school districts in our region. And with the RIASEC, our students, many of whom are people of color, ethnically diverse, and many are refugees, they and their parents are beginning to develop a hope for a future possible self but it wouldn't be happening without a systemic integration of a common language of career and self that we've learned through the RIASEC. So can you see the potential to connect this common language across systems as business leaders, staffing professionals, recruiters, uh, CEOs? Can you imagine this language that I've spoken about in K-12, every child, every grade, every year learns the language of self and then build skills in association with that understanding of self. Imagine universities and giving access against this full pipeline where majors are linked to the RIASEC, this language, this common language. Imagine students preparing and interests, values, internships aligned to RIASEC, onboarding, what about your individual development plans? What about career development for your individuals within your companies? Do we talk about interests? How are your interests maybe changing? How are they stable? Are you even working in your interest area? And then what about those encore careers or planned retirements? If we yeah. want to really be a system of K to gray, how do we support that gray process, that grain process with our workers? John, I think you want to jump in. Yeah, no, we got a question from Claire. She says, well, 
just about what you said, how does it support people considering career transitions? She works with a group that's passionate about more women into STEM. This includes encouraging girls to consider these fields too. Any response to that? Absolutely. Well, the first thing we'd want to ask is, have you been working in your interest area? Because I would try to, I would want to save that talent first. They're looking to move. Is it external? Are they looking to leave the company? Are they looking to make an inter a transition internally? Maybe they've developed a skill like many engineers that I've experienced. They, they develop a skill they can be very good at it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's where they have a high level of interest. So who's having a conversation with that individual, that human to identify the elements of their strengths? What are their talents? At the core, what are their interests? What's the foundation of the what they're doing? And then we should also be speaking uh, um, about values. What are your workplace values and how are they in alignment with your current department, with our company, projects that are coming in the future? And I think what's very interesting about your comment related to STEM, I was just looking at a research paper um, out of Pakistan on the Ryasek. There was a high number of young ladies who were interested in becoming doctors, but very few of them had interest themes in alignment with the investigative theme on the Ryasek. The investigative theme is all about using math and science to solve problems. And in the research, uh, the predominance of physicians, veterinarians, and other health professionals lead with the investigative theme. So in some cases, we might have a disconnect. We're trying to funnel a lot of young people into STEM careers. Are we doing what's right for the human? while the world is applying quite a bit of pressure on young people. So I think that's a, a question we need to ask ourselves. Um, and I'll, I'll pause there because I could go on for a while on that topic. Yeah, no, I'd say go ahead. And we, we've got a few more questions. Do you have more comments that you want to share or reflections? Um, it's up to you. I'm happy to share. Right. So then Link also says, well, what about entrepreneurs who uh, love working as entrepreneurs, but they don't really have a particular passion. How, how would you advise them uh, to find their passion? Or does it- I, I love that question. And I would always say that the word passion means suffering. No one should ever have to suffer for gainful employment. Now, if you decide that you wanna integrate your passion with work, then that's something that should be carefully coached and counseled because that might be where you need to go. But maybe we talk more about purpose. What is your purpose? What is the alignment? And I think entrepreneurs, my sense for entrepreneurs, and I don't know if there's research on this and I haven't seen the research, but the more in tune that an individual is with their unique interests, what they really care about deeply, and if interests truly drive motivation, vigor, and persistence, wouldn't you be more likely to be successful in an entrepreneurial endeavor if you were launching into an area that was deeply connected to who you are as an individual versus just the flavor of the month or the next latest um, you know, fractional business. Okay. What if we started with strengths, interests, and values and then coached around entrepreneurship? And that's something we don't do in schools. Excellent. So uh, Scott Dozier says, well, does this program in education lead to a more diverse output that includes trade schools, technical training, as oh, well yes. universities, as opposed to a more singular path straight to college and university? Thank you for your question. Do you know that in the research, 85% of carpenters lead with the realistic theme? 
in the research. I, I'm so speechless about what we do to kids in school, quite frankly. And we have Julia Cruz here, who's one of our workforce development professionals at our high school. Um, I'm not speaking about what she does to kids because what she does to kids is she identifies interests in children. She works with amazing partners like Southwest Airlines. She helps young people discover their unique strengths, interests, and values and helps them align to internships that matter. Um, you are absolutely correct that we needed to, to model the full spectrum of interests to young people and the trades are found across many of the interest categories. The interests themselves are not limiting. They're quite broad actually, but they also help focus you because what we do to young people is say, you can be anything you wanna be, anything. And the child looks back at you and says, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what to do with that. But when you help an, an individual, a young child, begin to explore and develop their realistic themes, the hands-on doing, and then you show them the connection and their parents the connection to the well-paying jobs and the trades um, that can lead to their well-being and happiness, which is what every single parent says when we ask them, what do you want for your child? I want my child to be happy, okay? And then we talk about their interests, their strengths, and their values. And they said, no one's ever talked to me about this. Well, this is what we're trying to do for your children. But more importantly, I mean, everyone here has to understand that my lens to this work is all about starting with the end in mind. So, I'm thinking about the hiring process. So we have a, just a couple more minutes for your comments, and then we're going to turn it back over to the group. Lots of good questions. So let's talk about that, how to do that. I know that you're continuing to expand from the work that you've done uh, into extending that pipeline to flow further. Can you end on that? Well, there, there are a lot of states that are interested in bringing together workforce development, um, post-secondary in the form of community college, as well as K-12. And I'm doing some work um, with a really interest, a state that's really interesting in this, in this space. Um, there are other ed tech companies that are working on skills, like some of my friends on, on this call, uh, that are looking to integrate this language into their, into their systems. Um, but our, our process and what we, what we often say is that career development is a human process. We've outsourced this process to software and we're bringing it back to, hum to being a human process. So almost like my question for the group is, um, we're showing that this can be done in school across all grades in a public school system, um, but there's probably some other linkages that need to be happen happening. What if business was pressing down saying, we wanna use this language, we're gonna uh, link Holland's Ryasek to our postings. It's in alignment with the ONET we're gonna all build a common language. Imagine if we were all speaking this common language, kids and their parents are confused about what's possible for them. They don't read the Georgetown Center on Education and Workforce Research. They don't go read the Stanford Research. They don't go read your research. They don't know where to find it. But we could have a common language that's simple and that's the beauty of RISEC and I'll end on this. This is the perfect paradox. It is so complex when it comes to the research, but it's also so simple that even a child can learn it. If we were thoughtful as adults in our processes to use a common language like this for parents, children, recruiters, managers, if we all use this common language, knowing it's not perfect, but no language is, could we, would we be more likely to help every child see that they're unique and special and help every child make a connection between who they are and maybe your opportunities and who they wanna be in the world? Right. 
Ed, thank you very much. I appreciate that. We're going to go ahead and open the floor uh, with the uh, group discussion. Here's the here's the group question, just to remind you. And you know, one of the things that we have to continue to do is to stretch this common language to businesses and have them uh, believe in it and want to make that happen and connect the pipeline to achieve exactly what you're doing. Uh, so. Uh, I, I want to talk to some of you guys that are out there in the doing, uh, but also from the business side and the recruiting. And uh, Greg, I saw your comments. I wanted to wait and then ask you if you could, from the business side, kind of share what you've been seeing and how this has been effective. Yeah, sure. Thanks for being here. Uh, always uh, my, my, my good friend over there. Uh, uh, calls on me. Uh, I love to love to come. Uh, him and I have uh, broken bread and many other things uh, over solving these problems, trying to solve this problem. But yeah, you know, I think it's really great. I think you know everything that said that Ed said is spot on, right? I mean, and, and you know, and and I'll tell you where I think part of the root cause of it comes from, right? Is that you always you, know, you always hear um, so many things about with the, the job market or whatever with businesses that there is a um, um, uh, skills gap, right? You, you kind of hear that and that's kind of, I think the easy thing that that someone will say or whatever. And, and I really think that it's actually an awareness gap, right? Is that when you begin to look at it, um, is that, you know, or an exposure gap or whatever you want to say to it, right? But it is how many kids you know, know and get exposed to those things. And, and you know, I, where I always like to use an example is, you know, I'm, I'm here in Dallas in our hometown. We're a 51-year-old company, fairly iconic, right? Uh, known brand, certainly known brand, you know, in our own neighborhood. And I tell you that I could leave after this call and go to an elementary school right down the street uh, where my daughter went and be a guest speaker at a class. And and what the majority of students are going to think are, am I a pilot or am I a flight attendant? That's all they'll think of. And if I if I happen to be at a more economically um, diverse or, or disadvantaged school, they might not even know who we are because they've never flown before. Right. And so crud, like I can't like that's the starting point. Right. And so. You know, when when that's the the raw clay um, of what of what you're dealing with, then it, it's something like this where you can begin to get them to think of that possibility, think of those kinds of of things, and get them along the lines to be able to do it. And so I mentioned, you know, <clears throat> we met before uh, Ed left. Uh, you know, I took my team down because we were. Um, looking to build stuff, you know, a decade or so ago. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we use the strong assessment for our high school interns. And then we do a summer camp for employees, kids every year because of the same thing. Like they grow up being in love with Southwest from their parents' perspective, right? Or what those are. But, but, you know, I, I will tell you, my daughter has zero interest in HR. Um, what I do is not of any interest to her whatsoever. Um, you know, but but um, what she but being able to introduce her to oh, 
because you have an interest in this area or, or purpose or whatever you want to do this, oh, guess what? You could work there. You may not or whatever. And and so, you know, we've found that um, to be very, very valuable. So I, I think that that's, I, I think, you know, starting out with this audience, we're, we're right where you're saying, hey, oh, this, these kids, they don't know what they want to do. Well, yeah, we haven't given them much of a chance either, right? So. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And, and uh, your vantage point is from Southwest Airlines up there in DFW world. Um, anybody else have something they want to contribute? I was hoping that Courtney, maybe you could share a little bit from your perspective. Happy to, but I see Julia has her hand raised. So maybe right after her, I'll let her go. Sure, Julia. Hi, good morning. My name is Julia Cruz Felica. Thank you, Courtney. We we learn, we take turns at school too. So, <laughs> um, as thank you, Ed, uh, for this talk, and and thank you, John, for for hosting. And um, just very briefly, like Ed said, I work with our high school students, and we use this common language in the high school. And I uh, had just amazing experience last year with working with uh, Southwest Airlines with Ashley and Lori. I see on the call. Um, they worked with some of our students and just to, to speak to, um, the comment that adults are dream killers, because, you know, we really are, I've been in education for a long time. I have multiple decades in education and, uh, Never before have I, before coming to Cajon Valley and working with this language, we're talking about the common language of the Ryasek, I have probably killed many a dream, unfortunately, because I just didn't know how to talk about, I didn't know how to talk to my students. I didn't have the language. I had, as Ed had mentioned, I had passion for being in education. I had passion for working with children, but now I have purpose. And the purpose that I have now is to be able to be of maximum service to, to our students, to their families and then the surrounding community. And how can we do that? Is We can do that with this common thread that's accessible for K to gray. Like I said, it's accessible for kindergartners, accessible for their parents and their grandparents. We have a, a community outreach program that's very solid here in our district. And we, we can use this language with our adults as well that are looking to find uh, something that they're passionate about where they can hit like every one of those key things as Ed said, you know, we want, we want success. We want that, that, um, that great uh, performance. And then we want income, right? right. We want income for these kids. So now, when I give them the tools to be able to talk about what they love, what they want to do, then I can help them. Switch, guide those things. switch sides of this uh, and think about the workforce participants that you're looking at. How is that working for them? Is it is it uh, adaptable and easy for them to grab hold of? What's your experience yes. there? Absolutely, it is. Um, actually, I shared uh, um, I've shared some of this language, obviously, with our mentors. So I, I match students up with mentorships here uh, in, in the San Diego area. And sharing the language with the mentors is very important because uh, from the business perspective, you have you have openings, you have needs, you have uh, you know areas that perhaps you don't know. Just like I didn't know how to use certain language to say you know someone with this 
uh, interest, someone with this theme of the RIASEC would really fit well in this department and somebody else would fit well over here in this department. The, the language is really, once you become familiar with it, it, it applies to everything. And honestly, the, the biggest thing that I say to students right now, and I would say the same thing to, to industry members is that all work has value. You just need to find the right person, right? For that, for that work. And the language transfers, it's transferable. Right, thank you very much for that. Courtney, you wanna jump in on that? And while I'm doing that, I'm also putting these little daggers of, you know, well, why would companies do it? Why, you know, prove to us it's competitive. So, I mean, what you're saying makes sense, but it, it's probably, is it hard? to convince. So Courtney, run with that. Well, thank you. Um, I, I wanted to actually address that and connect a couple of um, points that I heard from Ed and Greg. So my company skills line is um, teaching the foundations of human skills to young people in workforce entrance. And, um, you know, when we hear this skill gap um, that we hear about all the time, a lot of those skills are the ones that we teach, things like communication and teamwork and critical thinking, um, these really critical skills to succeed in a career. And, um, but I, I liked what Greg said about really, do we have a skills gap or an awareness gap? Because what we found is that it's really important to bring awareness around these skills, but the first thing that you really need is the purpose for why you might build them. And the purpose comes from the interests. And so just trying to connect a few things here from early interest building in K-12 through to the skills that we need so badly in our workforce and are missing, I think it really is about helping young people understand their interests, connecting those through a common language to a career that enables them to have a purpose for being in school, for learning, then we bring the awareness of these human skills that are going to enable them to achieve that purpose. And now there's a reason for those as well. And now we have fully formed humans that are ready to enter our workforce and really contribute. And, and there's a reason behind all of that. And so I think it's just a lot of different pieces that we have the opportunity to connect. Makes good sense. Any other feedback on that? Uh, Jolene, would you mind sharing your perspective? Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I'm Jolene Campion. I have responsibility at Geisinger, and we're a large healthcare, uh, integrated healthcare system. I have responsibility for recruitment, organizational development, and learning. Um, I also sit on the Pennsylvania Workforce Development Board, and um, I'm currently chairing our Career Pathways Committee uh, to create a one guy singer career pathway. So when I wear kind of all those hats um, and I think about, someone said there, we, confuse, um, we confuse people as an employer sometimes because we, um, we talk about the jobs that we most need to fill in our organization. And, and quite honestly, you probably know this, but healthcare like many other organizations has a major staffing problem. Um, and we're spending millions and millions of dollars in agency staff right now because we can't hire enough nurses for the bedside. 
And so when I would love to go out and do the assessment and I would love to go out and, and help people find their, you know, their interest in their careers, that's, that really would be my purpose and passion. But the truth is, as an employer, I need to go into the schools and we need to create programs where we go into the schools and say, uh, no, it's not all just physicians and nurses, but the majority of the roles we need are physicians and nurses. And so I think we're, we're challenged in trying to do the right thing by the students and by the parents, um, but also making sure we're not selling jobs that you know, we may not even have enough of. If everyone gets really excited about the, the robot surgeon or the, you know, the flight helicopter, that's fantastic, but I hire five of those a year. <laughs> If I'm, you know, if I'm fortunate. And so I think that's where I would love, you know, any insight from this group is, is finding the balance of meeting the organization, well, actually it's three stakeholders in my mind, meeting the organization's needs for talent, um, meeting the community's needs for access to jobs so they don't leave our communities uh, and go somewhere else because we really need them to stay here and, and work in, these, in, in, in our organizations. And then also um, meeting the workforce development goals of the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's all this intersection of, um, you know, if we put the student or the, or the human in the middle of all of this, how do we best serve them? Ed, take a shot at that. Well, I have schools who are integrating, that are integrating the RIASAC. Uh, Duquesne is one of them, it's a small school. Um, there are several that are implementing this model exactly for the reasons that, that you say. And why should you carry all the pressure to have all the jobs to serve everyone? The pressure should go back onto the schools and to the humans. Like we should be the ones, if we don't understand by understanding who we are and what our strengths, interests, and values are, then we're just looking for handouts from whoever, you know, the leading employer is in our area. We need to flip that script. The responsibility needs to go back on the individuals to understand who they are and then understand what are the best opportunities for them in their region and we should start by localizing career development based on all the jobs that are beautifully available, not just the robot technicians, of course. And quite frankly, in the research, you're not gonna have a lot, as many kids with interests along the lines of the RIASEC for that role anyhow. So what if students were canceling themselves out? I know it's the wrong term, <laughs> it sounds like the wrong term, but let's shift the thinking. What if students were making more informed decisions with their families based on understanding of self through the lens of the RIASEC and through all the beautiful research that is already out there so that they could make the most informed decisions about which career paths should be. And maybe it is with your organization, but maybe it is some, somewhere else. But that's, that's their responsibility. You shouldn't be the hero uh, to have to solve all those problems. Right. Um, and I think it ends up getting back to the entrepreneurship question from earlier. Um, how many more entrepreneurs could we have if they really understood their unique giftings and what they love to do and where they find their flow? Again, we don't really do that in schools. This well, language can be a way to do that. We're not going to be able to. I know we can't fix this thing right away, but I think it's worthy of you guys continuing the conversation. I'd also like to mention, Julene, that uh, Claire Skillen in British Columbia has got a similar problem. Might want to connect on that. Uh, but I mean, what is a practical first step if you've got these three stakeholders? I mean, they've got uh, different needs. Do you have a singular program that uh, is fit for all three? Anybody? I mean, how, how have you done this? Uh, then let me, let me take it back, uh, for example, uh, with Greg or Ashley. 
So you you are a company, Southwest Airlines, one of the, the best uh, that we have in this country. And, um, you know, how are you actually addressing your stakeholders within the company? And maybe that'll be somewhat helpful to uh, what Julene is after. Well, um, I think there's a couple of challenges. Um, the, the, um, in it, in it, it, you know, the problem, right. And I think, you know, maybe part of the root of what Ed's trying to suggest to address here, right. Is, is when you start getting into this space, there is a battle on of terms, right. And so, you know, I joke all the time, um, that I fell into HR and recruiting and love it and I'm pretty good at it. And when I look back, like, oh, wow, when I was in college, I was a fraternity and I was rush chairman. Unfortunately, I spent 15 years chasing the wrong thing. And finally, somebody else pointed out to me. And I used to always joke that like, yeah, and this dates me or whatever that like jobs were in, you know, newspaper ads back then. But but I was like, had when I graduated, if companies had listed jobs for rush chairmen, I would have been in recruiting for 35 years because I would have said, oh, I know exactly what that is. I'm great at it. I love it. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just didn't, you know, as a 20, 22 year old graduate, I didn't realize that that was even a thing. Right. And so that's the problem, right? And, and so, you know, I see it all the time, just even internally where somebody is like, okay, what is this job? And, and, and it, the conversation can go both ways, John, where it's like, this would be a horrible fit for you. Like you're getting hung up on the title, perhaps. Look at what it entails on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not what you like doing. And guess what? There, At some point in time, there won't actually even be enough money frankly, to make you happy doing it, or just the conversely where it's like, yeah, don't get hung up on the title. It's exactly wired how you are. And so, you know, I see that right now, just even in, as my daughter's a, a sophomore now, and we're looking at college and college majors, I'm just like, wow, there's not even, a, in what she's looking to do, there's just not even a uniform language of those, like, she has to go to every single university, click into that program, read about what that program's about and what it would teach. Um, so just that alone, you know, so to me, that's just where the beginning happens. It's both internally and then externally with that. And I think that's the challenge. I think the hard part, right, is that you need to, um, you gotta, you know, you're gonna have to start small, right? You're gonna have to find picks, you know, we're doing it a little bit at Southwest, which just, you know, we just gone through the last 18 months with a huge job architecture program, right? And so to me, I would almost say that it, it almost has to start at each end, and, and work towards the middle, right? Because I think what's going to happen is, you know, you could go along this path and you're just, you know, you're going to meet black hats, you're going to stubble, someone's going to retire or change out or whatever, and then it goes this different way. But if you, if you begin to go with the, like Ed said, with the end in mind, and you begin to meet in the middle and, and work towards, hey, how do we have this meeting where we can begin to go, oh, we do that. And I'll tell you a perfect example. I'll tell you somebody that's done it fairly well is in some of the military groups, right? And we actually have that on our career site where we have a 
here's what you did a job in the military. Here's what it means at Southwest. We have a landing page so that, because frankly, that's even hard for my team, Like, And we've done training so that we could interview you and say, John, oh, you were, you know, you worked, this was your title. You were an E3 doing what, what does that mean? Why should I talk to you? And so to be able to go, oh, here's what you had to do on a day in and day basis, be good at it. Oh, here's what it relates to here. Right. And so, so it, it, but it has to be able to candidate has to be able to understand that, but then the company does too. Yeah. Makes good sense. And I like very much this job architecture program. That's something tangible. And I'd offer people to, to connect with Greg uh, later if that's something you want to dig into and figure out what they're doing at Southwest Airlines. Link, 30 seconds, what you got? <laughs> well, no pressure, 30 seconds. <laughs> um, just just a, a food for thought. Um, I, I, as a personal experience, I'm, I'm trying to on, uh, hire an intern. And so I have a really good internship and I'm out there at the universities and I've gone up and meet with the people that, you know, the professor that's gonna offer credit. But what I find, and I find this in my career too with program design, that's my a bulk of my space as I develop programs for people, is there's a season. So there's a season when youth and college age students and youth are, are actually wanting to discover their talents. And then there's a season when they actually wanna deploy them. Like now is not the season because the kids are all starting back to school, the hustle and bustle, they're getting into the routine. Search that, that the interest ebb and flow is an up and down kind of curve to where there, there's a, a space between the, when they're actually developing interests and curious and wanting to discover themselves, maybe the middle of the school year versus the end when they're looking at getting out and celebrating summer or the beginning when they're just getting going. And that those are the times when the internships or the or things, the employers and the businesses out there are looking for someone. They're not looking for somebody in December. They're looking for somebody in the fall. And so sometimes those seasons don't match up and it becomes really difficult for the people that are offering their opportunities to reach the kids that have the interest. And so I, I, that's that's the kind of gap. Have you figured out a way to address that gap in time and season? Thank to you. connect the, the kids at the right time, I guess, to the opportunities that are out there. Good. Was that to me, John? 30 seconds. Well, I, I think that's absolutely true. Everyone's got um, kind of a meter of, of priority in their lives and when it's going to happen. So, but imagine building a foundation of common language before students move into those college years where they have a deep understanding of this language to be able to explore careers through the lens of self versus um, looking, you know, how many internships could you possibly choose? It's the paradox of choice. Right. And we do that to students all the time. So how do we help them get grounded in an understanding of who they are and more clearly back to who they want to become? We're going to extend this just a little bit. And, and uh, Thomas Henry, I wanted to ask you, so Thomas runs a venture capital firm. And so he deals with a lot of different people uh, trying to get people's attention. Uh, and so Thomas, from your perspective, how, how would you uh, guide Ed or somebody who's actually trying to influence or maybe uh, Julene, any, any thoughts from what you've heard? No, I think uh, the efforts that, that, that Ed and Julene and even Greg is uh, perpetuating, making sure that, um, that a 
entrepreneurship is not about one single frame of mind, correct? I mean, that ability to expand your horizon at a very early age, understanding what does it take to go through the entire value chain, everything from having the technical discipline to commercializing, correct? So that, that whole circle of life, I call it, it's not for the faint-hearted, correct? But if you expose them, um, at a very early age, I mean, in fact, actually, uh, one of my kids went to British school over here in Houston, and they said, okay, this is the problem that we are solving, uh, trying to solve, come up with an invention on how you try to solve this. So at a very uh, young age, she was, I think, uh, middle grade, uh, middle school, and what happened was you see that creativity start and stem and then very quickly, they tend to, how shall I say, I don't want to say pigeonhole themselves, but trying to find tracks on where they've excelled. So when you take a look at the whole value chain, somebody might say, hey, I'm very good at marketing. I can talk about the product and, and I want to pursue that aspect of it. Or somebody might say, hey, I'm good at designing stuff and I'm good at creating stuff. So I'm in part of the creativity. So I like that RISAC model. And, and the, the issue we have is um, it changes with time, correct? I mean, that research was done so many years back. Now, if you take a look at what Gen Zs are looking at, I, I find the Gen Zs, uh, sorry, I find the Gen Zs more like ADD, correct? They, they, they want to try everything and the patience is not there. And, and very often in the entrepreneur type uh, ecosystem, you need that patience. And how do you build that patience in? Thank you very much, Thomas. Guys connect with Thomas. He's uh, and his firm is amazing. They're dealing with all kinds of companies who've got great ideas and have to re meet reality and make them work. And that's hard to do. Uh, Ed, you work with university students also. So again, you know, getting them on, on, on the train. That's right. So in the pipeline, definitely, this is uh, important for you guys. So Ed, last takeaways. Well, Gen Z's make up a huge population of what are called opportunity youth, 16 to 24 year olds in the United States that are not in school and not working. They're humans, just like everyone else, and they go through an uh, education system that doesn't support their understanding of who they are and who they want to become. And just like entrepreneurs typically do not work as soloists, uh, just like Gallup says, we need to build well-rounded teams, not well-rounded people. And so this language helps young people understand who they are, but also helps them understand who their classmates are. And I think if we look, and I love what Greg said, the simplicity of this language is one that can help every child and their parents see a future possible sales for their children. So I hope you look more into it. I put some research links um, in another paper that John can share. If you have any questions for me, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, there's so many more layers to share. Uh, simple um, is really important Good stuff. to get this work done. Thank you very much, Ed. And folks, how was the talk and discussion today? Would you please take 30 seconds and fill out the FT survey that we just dropped in the box there? Let us know how we're doing. We're going to improve uh, with your help. Uh, you or somebody you know, a thought leader, want to test drive a certain challenge that you have, get some new ideas, help others to connect and learn faster, just like right now? Hey, our call to experts is open. We are growing fast thanks to you. Keep sharing FTE with other leaders who want to connect and learn. And check out our on-demand library with experts and content available in video and podcast. Today's show notes uh, with all the contact and the backup info that Ed promised are going to be hitting your mailbox a little bit later today. Next up on the FT show in seven days, six days, 
Tuesday, September 13th, Nebula Compute CEO Mike Bloxton leads the conversation, discover purpose when you ask the right questions. Tuesday, September 20th, in two weeks, FTE and the Endeavor Institute actually launch our energy transition channel with ESG and energy transition strategist, Nick Welch. Learn more and register on our website at fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. Thank you once again, Ed. Wow, it's been a real pleasure. And to all of you guys for making time to connect and learn on From the Experts. Take care, everybody.